0: Well, good morning, everyone. I, 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 I'm not up there. I'm in the crowd. And when God is looking for a leader, that's where he starts. He starts right in the pews. He starts placing dreams and hopes and visions for people right where they're sitting. They don't start on a platform they don't start with a lot of recognition. And that's really what we're going to be talking about this morning. We're going to be talking about how God takes us at that point of where we're just learning about him and he infuses his greatness into our lives. And, you know, the thing about it is, is that the Bible says that God searches the entire earth looking For someone whose hearts that he can strengthen. And all of that begins based on commitment. It, It starts with us committing to him. It doesn't start with us having everything figured out. It doesn't start with us getting our lives all cleaned up so we can be perfect enough for God. That's not where it starts at all. It starts right when you walk in that door and you begin to commit At that level. You know, in the business world, you kind of walk into a situation, you 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 read an ad, or you, you find out about a company that's looking for someone, and you think, hey, I might I might be a decent fit for that. I think I'll I'll apply for that job. And so you get this list of job descriptions, and it tells you all about what you're gonna do and what they need you to do, and how much they're gonna pay, and what the expectations are. So it's kind of laid out for you so that you, you understand it all, right? And so you go in, and, and, and you, you're assigned to a team. And you, do, you may not know each other, and you're looking at each other and going, okay, we're, we're the winning team. Ra ha, ha, ha rah, rah. rah. And, and you think, okay, I, I'm not sure that I can commit to this. I'm not sure that I can do that. You get nervous at first, you know. And then once you get into the groove of functioning and operating in this team, you're like, hey. I got this, man. I'm good at it. And then before you know it, you become a leader, and you're forming teams yourself. You're forming A teams, and you're able to accomplish so many things. And then that's the way it works in the business world. You're doing it based on pay and position. And then as you begin to grow in more power, then you're, you're elevated. You can get a promotion. Yo, I'm all that plus some. Feels pretty good, Right. You kind of know what they expect from you. You you get your little plaque. You put it on the wall. This is awesome. I'm so great. And you feel good about it. But then you come into this spiritual world where it functions so different. It functions like you kind of can see yourself on a team, you know, but you kind of don't. Because you show up on Sunday morning and it's like, wow, where, where do I fit into this? You, you get a grip on kind of your gifts and your talents. But you have to understand that your gifts and talents that you're born with, your natural gifts and talents, aren't the same as your spiritual gifts and talents. And you don't really understand what your spiritual gifts and talents are until you commit. So again, it all starts with this beautiful commitment. And in all this, God is building this winning team that's supposed to reach the entire world. It's daunting and overwhelming because really all we can do is think of the team at work where it's all predictable, where we know exactly what we need to do to ace this thing. And when you come into the spiritual world, it's all about your heart condition. It's all about where God is taking you. So when he looks at you in the pew, you may not look too great yet. You may be thinking, ugh. I don't, I don't know, I, I mean, I just started my spiritual walk. I mean, I, I don't know if, if I'm that good. I don't know if I can be as committed. I, I, I mean, you know, and because God is looking like at your attitude, your heart attitude. He's looking at someone who will stick with him through the long haul. And he wants to use you in that kind of way. And that can be overwhelming. You know, there's visions and dreams that he'll give you far before you're ready to fulfill them. And you're sitting there going, oh, I mean, back when God used to show me what I would be doing, I was just like deathly afraid. I was like, there's no way I can do anything that I keep seeing in my head make it go away. But many of you are at a small beginning of something that is going to be huge in the spiritual world. But we can't help but believe that God can't use us because we are forgetting that this is by God's power that he creates this greatness on the inside of us. We keep thinking we have to somehow conjure it up. The last time you listened to your flesh, what did your flesh tell you? It said, eat the extra sandwich. (laughs) It said, go ahead and look at that. It said, go ahead and try that. Honey, you have to tell it no. We're not doing that. It's about a commitment. The Bible says, despise not the days of small beginnings. So if you feel called to do a little thing, you have no idea the big thing that that could become and you have no idea with God's kingdom where you fit into the scheme of this huge puzzle on reaching the world. We are created by God to illuminate who God is. Can you believe that he chose to use us? Broken, frail, weak, sick, addicted, whatever it is that we're struggling with. And yet he chooses to use us. We're a piece of this big, huge puzzle. And when we commit at this heart level, we are inducted into this body of Christ. And then we're formed and we're shaped, sometimes isolated, sometimes together with someone else, and then sometimes with a huge team. And sometimes you're not even attached to that team until way later in the game. We can't always see the big picture of what God is doing. But if we'll let him start doing something, then we will see his hand at work and to whom much is given, much is required. We begin to rise to the occasion of what we understand. That takes me to my point number one. God called us to be a body of people that work together. God calls us to be a body of people that work together. 1 Peter 4.10 says, each of you should use whatever gifts you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Ecclesiastes 4.9-12 says, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they can keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. Here's the deal. A team is just two or more people that are banded together in a common purpose. And when we band together, we can become God's winning team if we will just stand strong together. There's really these things that create this winning team. Common purpose, creativity, which God is creator, right? God made us creative because he is creator. And we walk in his likeness. We illuminate who he is. Problem solving. I love it the way God will give us these little ideas on how to solve problems. Inspiration, communication, reliability, accountability, and trust. And there's each one of us that may be stronger than the other in these gifts, in these areas of giftedness. And when we band together, it makes us great as one. In the body of Christ, we we function more on an emotional, spiritual level not like at work you know i mean yeah it's nice to get along with them but hey if you don't want to you can close your office door and you're all good for the day but in the body of christ whoa i'm called to forgive i'm called to love my neighbor maybe your neighbor done took your fence down maybe your neighbor killed the rabbit and you didn't want it killed you just wanted it to eat something poisonous to go away It happened to me one time, I was so aggravated at my neighbor because all the rabbits, he'd put out stuff and they'd come to my yard and die. And I'm like, what is your problem? (laughs) But yet I'm called to think the best. Well, good Lord, he was just trying to get the rabbits out of his yard. Well, I don't want them in mine. And then we get into foolish competitions. Well, I think that I am the one that should be... (coughs) doing this (laughs) yeah and the Bible says all of that is foolish so our drive is much different with kingdom principles involved it's deeper than earthly connections just earthly connections I mean there's a God factor that cord of three strands when we are two put together and then God comes into the middle of it it can't get chaotic it can't feel it can't get chaotic but it can't get messed up it can't fail So when he calls us to walk together like this, when he calls us to commit to him at this deep, deep spiritual level, he calls us to merge our lives together. And and, and I've just talked with a few people to try and find out what makes you not want to share the great news. What makes you, what makes it difficult? And, And some people are like, well, it's just hard to bring up. Yeah, I I mean, I can see that. It's just hard to to be aggressive and ask ask the waitress, how can I pray for you? And she's looking at me like deer in headlights, like what? And, And, you know, it's just hard to kind of overcome that moment. It's kind of hard to share with someone who's, who's just had uh, all kinds of drama in their life, divorced, they're left, and, and you're just like, well, let me just pray for you. And it sounds kind of lame maybe in the scheme of what they're going through, but prayer changes everything. So it's about how you lay it out. But here's the thing. If we will just understand that God is trying in every way possible, and I just want you to open your mind to this, everywhere you go, every day, all week, not just Sunday, He is looking to merge himself into every area of your life so that this illuminates and exudes from you in every way. You're like, oh, Jesus, so that means I've been carrying Jesus over to that place where I shouldn't be going? Uh Uh-huh. It's kind of hard to talk about Jesus in some of the areas of our life if we're ashamed before God. And God is looking to merge every area of our life with him. Secular or sacred, trivial or significant, menial or master, tasks or entertainment. All facets of our lives. He is looking for you to be talking about something that will have something that other people will need from you. You're raising the level, Marty. I don't think like this every day. Well, I want you to. And I want you to face your days with spiritual vigor. You are carrying the best news most people will ever get. All we do should be done for the sake of not just reaching other people, but seeing Jesus. God wants to work in you and through you in all aspects of your life, no matter who you are, no matter what you're doing. He wants you to learn to pass the torch To those who need that great news. A heart that's fully committed, a heart that's able to be used, whether you're at work or at the grocery store or in your small group encouraging someone or traveling abroad. This is huge. God sees people with great love and compassion at the point of their need. Do you know that when we named this church Life Point and we sat and we had all the discussions about what we should name this church, the discussions were about we want to reach people at the point of life where they need Jesus the most. Life Point. Life Point. So if we get into the vein of people's life right at that point where they're needed, where they're needing God, we can make a difference and change this community. This is where God's mind is and sometimes we even go into situations and we may be really super intentional and you know when you're kind of awkward at first trying to do your evangelism it's like okay i'm trying to do everything the church told me to do and so it's like awkward and you go into a restaurant and you say (laughs) Uh, how can i pray for you Hmm." you might be a little meek and mildly i mean you have to get used to it you know you don't want to be super abrasive but you know what i've discovered is when you lean into how God may want to use you, sometimes you're doing stuff that's super not intentional. Sometimes I have people come up to me and say, and people have even said to me back, you know, they say things and it's like I've been praying for three days and it comes flying out of your mouth. I know that what you just said was something that God wants to do in me right now. And so there's times that God will use you. I mean, He can use you if He can talk through a donkey to Balaam, you know. I mean... But sometimes it's completely unintentional. And you're saying things to people that will just change everything. And it's just because it's become such a part of who you are that you walk in the grace and the mercy and the kindness and and all of these things and people aren't used to that. Most people don't even know when God is using them, but it's because their hearts have been turned toward him. Have you ever seen an artist that's really gifted at work? They'll they'll start with this paper and they'll go, dot. And you're like, what in the world is that going to be? I mean, you're thinking, an artist just put a big black dot in the middle of the paper. And he's about to call this great here in about another 45 minutes. And you have no idea where this is going. That's the way it is with God. You sort of, you know, this this should free you up and make you feel a little bit lighter. Like you don't have to have this all figured out. All you have to do is trust that once you've made that commitment that God is strengthening your heart to do what you're supposed to do. I got one amen. Hallelujah, sister, whoever that was. (laughs) So we have to trust that his artistry is at work in us, using us no matter how small or insignificant we may feel. 1 Corinthians talks clearly about some plant and some water, but God makes it grow. That means somebody else is doing some of it. I I knew this guy, and and all he did, his whole gift, uh, spiritual gift was to lead people to Christ, to seal the deal. And so he was like, like this evangelism, I mean, the most intricate tool I've ever seen in God's hand. He would just go up to people and say, I believe that God is telling me that, that he's been dealing with your heart. Are you ready to accept Jesus as Savior? I have been thinking about that. and Yeah, I, yeah, yeah I am. Okay, just say this prayer with me. So this guy was just doing this all the time. He was like water on the seed, just brought it home. And I'm thinking, why can't I do that? Because I've always been used more of a tool of maturity and growing up and doing what you're supposed to do, which is not fun. Because, I mean, just go around and tell people, eat spinach all day. You know? (laughs) I don't want that. I want party food. Well, you know? But one hand can't always know what the other hand's doing. I, I had a job in the corporate world right before I had my last baby, and I had to quit it, and I was thanking God for it because I didn't love that job. But that's beside the point. <laughs> so I had this job, and I worked in the corporate world at the blood bank, and I ran the data management department. Now, in, with HIPAA rules, you couldn't let one hand know what the other hand was doing. So blood results and people's identity always had to stay separate, So with that, it's like, okay, so I'm running the data department. So anytime blood results came out weird, I was always in a panic mode. Oh, my gosh, what if the data's not correct? Because we would have to call them in and set them down and say, you know, your blood levels are showing hepatitis C or leukemia or HIV or whatever. And it was just always daunting on me. It was like, oh, God, if this process isn't working, I'm dead meat. It was stressful. (laughs) But I had to trust the systems that we had put in place that they would, go, they would be able to go through and they would all come together at the end. And they did, but it was always very hard for me to trust the system. But I want us to trust the system. All it is is about an open heart, being willing to trust where God may be using you. Even though you may not understand, am I a seed or am I water? What matter? What, what difference does it make? If you're a seed, be a seed. If you're a water, be water. It's all about getting people into this river of life where there's hope, where anxiety and addiction and all of these things can be broken, where we can grow in Christ likeness. Each team member, point number two, each team member embraces their task. Proverbs 27, 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so does one person sharpen another. Ephesians 4, 11 to 12 says, So Christ himself gave the apostles and prophets and evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. So even if you don't have a label for what you do, if you will just simply start at that point of taking your place in the body of Christ and just start where you are, your life may be just a little bit messed up. You may say, I am not worthy of doing this like at all. And I am saying, just start where you are. God is still working. Don't let things prevent you from not functioning at any spiritual level. You might not be at your full spiritual level, but start where you are. And I'm using this clip today. It's a horrible example and a great example of how God takes our measly nothingness right where we are in our big old hot mess and begins to use us. Now, this movie is 40 years old, but it's a great movie. Please take a look at this clip. Now, the interesting thing, I love this clip because it it really expresses, you know, God may find us in our mess, but he still has a plan. They were on a mission to save an orphanage is what the movie is about. And so they felt called by God, so they're going to go out and make it happen. And they are doing all kinds of things that are weird that people would look down on. But, you know, here's the deal. It's about the process. It's about the process. We always think that we're moving toward this great destination of perfection. And when, you know, and there's a famous Bible teacher, and she gives her testimony, and she says that when she taught her first Bible study back in the 70s, she was smoking those long cigarettes that had the little thing on the end, and she was smoking her cigarette teaching about Jesus. <laughs> God takes us where we are. And you think, oh, dear God in heaven, that's such a horrible example. I know. Why would he pick us? But he did. You are his chosen way. You are his chosen tool to use right where you are. And you start with your story. And for all of those who are legalistic, please don't send me any emails. I already know. But sometimes we let how we feel stop us from sharing the great news. Oh, I'm too unworthy. I could never deserve to even speak of God's greatness. Come on. If we are the ones that God chose, he didn't choose to send down angels or some, something like that. He chose us. Well, I don't know what to do, you know. Stan had this job in the business world, a very large, large job in a very large, large company. He was a VP, and he's working in this office. And so everything got really, um, I guess you would say, a heavy environment. You could feel something wasn't right in the air. And you know how it is when you're in the corporate world, and you know stuff's going on. It's like, oh, gosh, what are they about to do? What are they saying? Blah Blah. And it was kind of like that. Well, it turns out that there was an affair going on with the boss. And anyway, it all got real, real iffy. And so Stan's in this horrible situation. and He's like, okay, Lord, how do I illuminate your greatness? (laughs) Because this right here is a dark, hot mess. And we begin to pray. And we started praying and said, God, you know, what should we do? And, and, and how, you know, what, 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 you know how, could, how do we pray? We don't even know how to pray about this, you know. And uh, so we finally got this great idea. Let's buy everybody Bibles at Christmas. <laughs> yeah. So we did. And my sweetheart husband, he dressed up in his finest suit, and he passed out everybody Bibles for Christmas. And we thought maybe that was going to just shed some light on that whole situation and turn everything around. Well, they disliked it so much, they said, from now on, you can work from home. I said, well, hallelujah. (laughs) Maybe that's all God wanted us to do there, you know. But it wasn't long, and, and, and he was working out of the house. So if you don't know what to do, if you don't know how to reach people, if you find yourself in circumstances that are not nice, pray. He will lead you and he will guide you. Well, maybe you feel like you're not needed. You're needed. Maybe you feel like someone else should do this. No, you're called. You are specific to your calling. And just because we can't all see exactly how this puzzle goes together, you're all needed. We have missing body parts, in fact, in the body of Christ. Some people think, no, this is just the pastor's job. It's not. Sometimes pastors hang with pastors too much. We're not getting out into the community as much as you guys are. Sometimes you think, oh, other people are way better than I am. They can articulate themselves and they're this and that. So, it doesn't mean that your side of things should not be expressed as well. Why do you let... Looking around at others stop us from doing what God has called us individually to do. Sometimes we get discouraged and overwhelmed with our own spiritual battles. You know, instead of receiving God's grace and mercy and keep moving forward, we start shutting down and thinking, you know what, God, I just don't know if you're in this. Let God inspire you. This happens by having a quiet time. It happens through prayer. It happens through seeing Jesus in your own life. If you have a failure to connect with Jesus, you're going to have a real problem eliminating who he is to the rest of the world. Nobody takes a lamp and hides it under a table. King David the Bible says he had a heart after God and he was being raised up and he was picked out by God, not by man. He was not the pedigree. He was not the one that looked like the one. In fact, he was overlooked and they had to send someone back and say, oh, that's the one. Okay, well, shoot, wouldn't have picked him. God doesn't look at your outer appearance. He doesn't look at how dis- distinguished you are. That's not how he picks. He picks based on your commitment. So there's King David. He loved Saul. Now Saul was the king at the time, raising David up. He loved David. David loved him back. David always wanted to please Saul. Turns out Saul gets jealous, and he starts chasing David when he finds out that there's word that he will be made king. He gets jealous, and he wants to kill him. So here's David running for his life. And as he's running, he's wanting to really be celebrated. He's wanting to be embraced and told that you can do whatever I called you to do. You can take this thing. And instead, everybody's wanting to kill him, everyone that matters to him, anyway. So he ends up in a cave where King Saul was there, where they're basically chasing each other around the same mountain. <laughs> And he finds King Saul and he tears a piece of his robe and he says, I can't take him out because he's God's anointed. He takes that piece of robe just to remind him, I had you right there and I could have taken you down, but I didn't. And his heart was filled with anguish anguish and brokenness because he did not want Saul to hate him like that. We're supposed to be on the same team. But even in all of that, he had to continue to do what God said because that was not contingent on what the people around said. Now, I'm talking to some of you who may be in a situation where people have always put you down and always said that you'll never do anything. That is a lie. And it's a lie that has to be broken over your life. It's a lie that has to be broken. Don't take those inner vows that other people try to put on you. You continue to do what God has called you to do. So here's King David. He has to continue on, and he goes on to build his kingdom, trusting that God was with him. In spite of what the king thought. And the difficulties he faced were not an excuse for him to not fulfill the calling that God placed on his life. That means you can't be easily shut down. And it is hard when people on your team turn against you. That hurts. But I'm telling you it is not an excuse to not do what God has called you to do. You are called to be on the winning team. You are called to be in the kingdom, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, the one that can change the world. Number three, a winning team trusts God and trusts each other. Now, even if you've been mistreated, let me just tell you something. God has a way when somebody's heart belongs to him, He will deal with them as long as you keep yourself in the right place. A winning team trusts God and each other. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Romans 15.5 says, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude and mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had. God will deal with your hurts. And this is where you learn a whole new piece of the world. This is where you learn to self-lead. This is where Elijah found himself. This is where King David found himself. This is where Paul found himself. How do I stir up this thing on the inside of me and let this fire burn for what God has called me to do? How do I do that in spite of it, you self Lead, And this is, your, this is simply your ability to influence your own communication, your own emotions, and your own behavior. That means your self-talk has to be built up. That means when other people are saying you're nothing, you're saying I am a child of God and I can do whatever God calls me to do. That means getting yourself in order when nobody around you is singing your praises or being your cheerleader. Eagles fly alone and birds fly in flocks. When eagles get sick, they soar to the very top of a mountain. They pluck out every one of their feathers and they pull out their wingspan for as far as they can. And they lay in the sun until they feel better. Sometimes God will pull you out and he'll say, okay, I'm going to give you a little time out. I can see you're weary and you're tired. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to take care of you. You see, when you belong to God, this thing don't fail. It's not contingent to people. We're not called to be independent of one another. We're called to be dependent, though, on God. And if you're in a place like that, let me tell you, He may send you out for just a short season of healing, but back in you'll go. Back in you'll go. These things don't excuse the calling, they don't get you out of it. Doesn't mean you're leaving God's plan. Number four, a winning team doesn't quit. We don't quit. 3 John 5-8 through says, Dear friend, you are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers and sisters, even though they are strangers to you. They have told the church about your love. Please send them on their way in a manner that honors God. It was for the sake of the name that they went out, receiving no help from the pagans. We ought, therefore, to show hospitality to such people so that we may work together for the truth. This is what sets us apart from the rest of the world. The only way that people really know that you're from God is your love one for another. And yet one of the biggest things that Satan uses to shut down churches and relationships and marriages and all kinds of stuff is through offense. Offense. These are not my people if they're going to act like that. It's the greatest way that he uses to attack people. It's the devil's playground that casts doubt and mistrust on others. It shuts down relationships. But to be honest... We need to learn to really handle offense. Because it's not how the offenses will come, it's when. Because it's the greatest tool that Satan uses. And if you can learn to overcome offenses, I'll show you a mighty, a mighty powerful person in the kingdom. Because every offense you face is only a test to see where you are. And the deal about God's test, if you flunk it the first time, You get to take it again. So sometimes if you see the same things happening over and over and over, and it's like, why do I keep having this same issue? Well, (laughs) we have to get to this place in God where we trust him. Because when we start figuring out that we can't work with one another, and we start fighting and we start following human rules and human standards you completely get out of the body of Christ function and that's unspiritual suddenly you have no power behind what you're doing and if that happens it's time to take a good long hard look that means you're disconnected and Colossians 2.19, it says they've lost connection with the head from whom the whole body supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews grows it God causes it to grow. Growth stops and we become a dysfunctional body. You know, I was hurt tremendously by the church when I was younger. And I say by the church because I blamed the church. It was actually a pastor and it was stuff that should have never happened, but it hurt me. And it hurt me in a way that I felt like I never, ever, ever... And I had this inner vow, because remember when you say, I never, ever, ever, that's like an inner vow, I will never, and the Satan loves it when you say that, especially when it's the wrong thing, because he can get a stronghold over you, I will never go back to a church. And that's kind of what I said. Oh, they're, they're, they're not spiritual, and if that's God's people, he, he's got a mess on his hands. That's really what I thought. And I remember when I was coming back around to Christ, right? Because I walked away with my vow of never, ever, ever. And then I feel this, the Holy Spirit tugging on me. And I'm thinking, oh, I haven't talked to God in like 10 years. And I felt this pulling and luring of my heart. And and, and I'm thinking I'm way too far away. I mean, there's no way that God would want someone like me. And, And I kept feeling this pull and this yearning to know him. And I'm thinking, what is this? And so God begins to pull me and show me that it's him that's calling me. And I'm thinking, okay, 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 I'll read my Bible, but at home. And I began to read my Bible because I didn't want anyone that was a teacher trying to tell me something that I did not know first already. So I read the Bible a couple of times all the way through. I would praise and worship, and I was going to create my own little world, my spiritual world. Well, how many knows how easy it is to serve God if you don't even open the front door to walk out? Pretty easy. No issues. (laughs) So so I'm I'm reading and God's like, okay, now it's time for you to go to church. And I felt like God was telling me this. It's time for you to go to church because I'm reading all about the body of Christ, the body of Christ, you know. And I'm trying to understand what the body of Christ really is because I thought that was just a little piece of bread at communion time. (laughs) Isn't that it? That's it. I did it. See? Done. (laughs) Wasn't done. I got to jump in and live with these people. And it's going to get messy. And they're going to talk about me. And I'm going to get mad at them. And weird things are going to happen. I don't want it. And God begins to show me, oh, 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 oh. I see. You want to be dysfunctional. Hmm? That's what you want to be, dysfunctional. Well, no. He's like, you, you just want to be like an eyeball on a table that just rolls around. It's not connected to the brain. It's not, can't tell the brain what it saw. Can't make the hand do something as a result of what it saw. You just want to be a broken body part that does nada. I was like, oh, <laughs> I guess I didn't think of it like that. But yet my offense, being easily offended... Was what got me there. Then I would read scriptures like turn the other cheek, forgive seven times 70. Bloom where you're planted. I said, oh boy. We have to commit to this in the long haul. This isn't just like a one little thing. Because here's the real picture that you need to get a vision of. There's hundreds and thousands of people who do not know God. And we have to make a decision to be intentional and get real comfortable teaching them about God. There's a Barna survey that I was reading recently, and it said a third of people in the U.S. say that they have made a big change in their life due to a spiritual conversation. A third. That means we can take this thing, baby. We can do a little bit, we can do some harm just by having a spiritual conversation. You may not be the closer of the deal. One out of four Christians have had ten or more spiritual conversations in a year period of time. One out of four, one out of four have had ten or more spiritual conversations. Only one out of four. That's, that's half than what it was in 1993. We're not talking about God as much. Sixty percent of people who say they're Christians faithfully attend weekly services. That means some of you, I'll see you in four weeks. You know? 27% act, actively create opportunities for spiritual conversations. 45% of Christians avoid spiritual conversations at all costs because they do not want to lose friends. 45%. They're afraid of being offended, offensive. 67%. Now, these are the little snotty millennials that we all complain about and you're all sitting in here and I'm telling you I love you to death I think you're fireballs 67 percent of millennials believe that you are obligated as a Christian to share your faith with unbelievers but listen to this boomers only 60 percent of you say that you need to share your faith oh Jesus Mm. we got to get better at this God has given us this language to articulate ourselves in this awesome way where we can put fireballs out everywhere we go if we would just learn how to use it. Learn how to use the powerful tool of your tongue. I was reading up and it said the the English language was based on past, present, and future. But in the English language, we focus only on the present. And so most of our world is only about right now. And they say people who live in the right now and don't think of the future, they are riskier in all their lifestyle. They're riskier in all their decisions because they're only thinking of right now. They get in in all kinds of relationships they shouldn't get into. They, They only look for instant gratification. But then the people of God are looking at the future. What can we do about this? We have to shape the future. We have to shape people into what God has really called them to be. There's approximately four to 7,000 languages in the world, and they're diminishing. They're diminishing because people want more pop culture language. So if there's a language that sounds old-fashioned, like how many times do you really hear wretch unless you're listening to Amazing Grace? We don't hear it anymore because sin now is simply nothing but a struggle, People used to see it as, oh, the wicked, wretched man that I am. And now it's like, I'm just having a little bit of a struggle. Our language is changing. And with that, it's making us not look at the depth of who we really are before a holy God. If we don't get better at this and let God really guide us in this, we can numb out all of the abilities around us to reach others. In your bulletin handout, there's a card. I don't don't have one, but I want you to start jotting down some names, whether it be friends or neighbors or relatives, that you really want to see God begin to work. And you ask Jesus, Lord, what is it that I need to say to get these people thinking and going? And practice, role play. Get used to this. There's a story in the Bible of a King Elisha. Elisha, not Elijah. (laughs) to help but he's on his deathbed he's about to die and he calls for a king the King Jehoish Jehoash was his name and he was the king in place there was a lot of war going on around and so he's about to die and he wants to pray over this king before he passes so he calls the king the king comes and as the king arrives Elisha tells him grab that bow and grab those arrows And back in the ancient times, the bow represented, I am fully submitting myself to God's will. And the arrows represented every victory that God had for them. So he goes and he grabs the bows and he grabs the arrows and he puts his hands on them. And Elijah places his hands over the king's hands and begins to pray because there's a transfer of power about to happen. So as he's praying for him, he says, now, I want you to take this bow and I want you to take these arrows and I want you to go shoot the arrows out that window over there toward the enemy because God is about to put victory in your hands. So the king Jehoash goes over there and he shoots out three powerful arrows. And Elisha jumps up out of the bed and said, Why would you stop at three? Well that's all. Just I mean, you know. He said this is a lack of faith. God has every victory for you. You should have shot out every one of the arrows. Now you will only have 3 victories. Because for some reason this king thought that there was a stopping point of God's faith and grace and mercy over everything God had called him to do. There was no stopping points. We win. We don't fail. Not when God's in it. But do we have the faith to trust that he will bring us to this place of victory? How many arrows would we have shot out saying, I'm going to believe God for all of this? I just dare you. I challenge you. What do you want to see God do in your life? What do you want to see God do by using you to reach those that you love? How long has it been since you've really spent enough time with God to find out what He's saying? How long has it been since you've had a spiritual conversation? How long has it been since you invited, invited someone to come to a service to just experience what it's like? We are the plan. Ecclesia is like a, a it's like a military term for the church. It's like boots on the ground. It's like, it's like this, this tenacious army of people that go out and change the world. We are God's winning team. We're, we're it. With every failure, with every brokenness, with every junky thing that we bring to the table, God says, all I need from you is one thing, commitment. I'll own the rest. It's all good. I got this. I'm asking you to take advantage of the relationships that God has put in your life and become God's winning team. Don't be so worried about where you belong on it. Don't be so worried and don't think, you know, well, I'm not healthy right now. Let me tell you something. I had never been more of a Christian when I was laying in bed not healthy. Everybody that came my way, honey, all they got was Jesus because that's all I had. (laughs) Laid in bed for a long time. I had scriptures all around my bed. I was driving people insane. Come on over to my house. (laughs) We're just having a great Jesus time. God will use you everywhere in your life. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you that we are your bride, your chosen people to be faithful, God, Give us doors of opportunity, God. Give us chances to share the good news, God. And for some of you out there that maybe you've not made that commitment, maybe you're you're not there yet. You're like, I don't know if God wants to use me. I'm I'm struggling. I've got an addiction. I, I'm I'm not healthy right now. I'm 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 not this. I'm not that. I don't I don't have words. I don't know. I mean. This crazy love that God has for us will carry us through. It breaks anxiety. It it breaks hopelessness, depression, addiction, lack. It breaks it all. And he uses us right where we're at. So I'm asking you to cross the line today. Admit that you need him. Admit that you have sin in your life that needs to be dealt with. Admit that he is the way. Believe that he is the way. Commit to him for your future. And if you've said that prayer for the first time, if you don't mind marking your card, we want to send information that's going to help you, help you grow, help you to have a quiet time, help you to know more about how God wants to use you in your life. So, Lord, we give you the best of who we are. Fill us with your spirit. Save us, deliver us. And help us to, God, start right where we are. In Jesus' name, amen.